Ben brought this banjo that didn't have the fifth string, and you know, I probably played it with a flat pick, but I was able to like pick out the notes that are sort of the outline of Foggy Mountain Breakdown. And I was like, yeah, look, I'm totally playing Foggy Mountain Breakdown, not realizing I was coming nowhere close to it. Hey folks, how's everybody doing? This is Keith Billick here from the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. I hope you're all having a great day and I really appreciate you joining me. Today we're going to have another one of these episodes guest hosted by my great friend Aaron Jonah Lewis. And if you're unfamiliar with Aaron or why I'm having him host the show every once in a while, you're going to want to go back to episode number 22 and there's also a bonus episode that preceded episode 22 introducing Aaron and what his relationship is to the show and why he's doing what he does and that's a great episode on its own so please go back and listen to that but at any rate suffice to say that Aaron is out there talking to banjo players and if he's doing that anyway what the heck might as well send him with uh, some recording gear and feature some of his discussions here on the podcast and that's exactly what we're doing before i have aaron take it away however i do need to start with some very special thanks of course to my beautiful lovely patreon supporters of the episode today we have two supporters of the show the first person i need to thank is a gentleman named dickinson buell and he likes to listen to the podcast while he's driving and that actually reminds me I need to warn you all about something because it's one of my pet peeves when someone who produces a radio commercial feels the need to put a police siren in it because then you're of course driving in your car listening and a siren comes on the radio and you freak out for a second, right? Or am I the only one who does that? So at any rate, I hate it when people put sirens in their radio commercials. So here's my warning to you. During this episode, wherever, I'm not sure where Aaron was having this interview, there is some siren sounds in the background. So if you, like Dickinson, are listening to this while driving, please try to remain calm if you hear some siren noises. You should also check, maybe it's a real siren, but just know that that sound is coming up and uh, try to remain calm, like I said, and stay on the road and, and drive safely. The other supporter of today's podcast is Commodore Perry, and Commodore is a local to me banjo player. He lives in the Detroit area, and he has all sorts of very cool interests when he's not playing banjo, which is the, let's face it, that's the coolest interest that one could even have, right? So he's already a banjo player. He's cool in my book, but uh, he's apparently really into smoking pipes and repairs old pipes. He also wants to give a shout out to his his moped gang, the Team Rocket Moped Gang out of Detroit. So hats off to all you guys. Thanks very much to Dickinson and Commodore. And how about those names, folks? Dickinson and Commodore are the two supporters. Forget about it. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. It really means a lot. For the rest of you, please visit the page at patreon.com slash banjo podcast. That's how you become a supporter of the show. And I always appreciate anybody who is uh, generous enough to make a contribution on that page. Once again, that's patreon.com slash banjo podcast. You can also contact the show by emailing pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. That's how you send me any feedback, suggestions, comments, criticisms, funny dad jokes, whatever you got. 
pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. That's how you get a hold of me. Today's special guest is an excellent banjo player out of the Washington, D.C. area named Sam Guthridge. Sam is best known for his playing with uh, his current band, which is called The High and Wides. I was already an admirer of Sam's playing even before this interview, and I really enjoyed hearing his takes on how his band approaches the music, especially the first part that you'll hear almost right away in the interview, how they try to reincorporate some old things that have maybe been forgotten about the music that we all love. So I think you'll be interested in that too. And few sound clips of his playing in case you're unfamiliar with him uh, really exciting band and some really insightful conversation so here it is aaron jonah lewis the guest host interviewing special guest sam guthridge of the high and wides Welcome to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. I'm your guest host, Aaron Jonah Lewis, and I'm here today with banjo player Sam Guthridge. He's from the D.C. Baltimore area, and he's the banjo player with the High and Wides. He also plays with Only Lonesome, and we're going to talk today about the way that you're playing the banjo these days, Sam. Welcome to the podcast, Sam Guthridge. Thank you. It's, it's great to be here. I also have to add that Sam and I have known each other for many years. We've recorded together uh, the Square Peg Rounders album, and we've jammed together a lot, at least once a year. So uh, we'll, try to, we'll try to leave the inside jokes to a minimum. Yeah, so the, the main thing that I want you to talk to our banjo listening audience about is your band, The High and Wides, your new album... And the way that you're playing the banjo, because it's not, it's not traditional bluegrass, although it cer- certainly has basis in uh, traditional bluegrass methods. It doesn't sound like new grass either. It sounds like something original. Yeah, why don't you tell us about it as if someone has never heard any of your music before. So what we're trying, what we're doing, I'm playing the high and wides, me on banjo and mandolin, Nate Grower on fiddle, Mark Dykeman playing guitar, and a uh, bass player named Mike Pacino playing upright bass. So Mark, Nate, and I had previously played together since about 2006 in another band, Chester River Runoff, that was pretty active around the mid-Atlantic. We started the high and wides uh, concurrently with that band in sort of its later years as as a way to when we started off it was sort of to be a real throwback mark and i were learning uh, mandolin and guitar and just working up brother duets but uh as this as it became the main band we started writing music that was uh, definitely informed by that era and inspired by sort of the pre-bluegrass hillbilly music and what we were trying to do you know which is there's so much weird stuff yeah in, in that music that got whittled out completely. And we were trying, you know, we were trying to come up with music that's like, what would that sound like today if that hadn't been sort of distilled out of bluegrass? Because, like, bluegrass, you know, the Monroe Brothers had some wild stuff. Bill Monroe had some very different stuff um, early in his career. And then there's all these other great acts doing far-out music. But the bluegrass world is sort of like 
distilled it out. It's like instead of looking at the weird stuff around the edges, subsequent generations of bluegrass musicians have sort of like focused on what, what did all these bands have in common? And that's to find the sound. And um, we're just looking for all the things that have been left out and focusing on that. the elements of bluegrass that we'd been doing together for over a decade you know harmony singing a driving string band while sort of fundamentally reimagining where we were coming from rhythmically we didn't want the rhythm the rhythm to just be rote you know where it's like you come okay here's a song here's the chords bam boom 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 you know that's we wanted to sort of custom craft a rhythm for each song taking inspiration from that old weird hillbilly music and, you know, other other new things. We're not afraid of new. We really like television and the talking heads and stuff, bands, yeah. sort of new wave bands. So I was going to ask, what were some of the influences, aside from the pre-Bluegrass Brother duets you're talking about? And can we name some of those, too? Like, I mean, I always think of the Delmore Brothers. It's like Oh, yeah, the Delmore Brothers, the Callahan Brothers, Maddox Brothers, uh, all the brothers. Blue Sky Boys. <laughs> yeah, that's not a... That might be somebody Mark has gotten into. I, I'm not. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you're you're calling my bluff on that one. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an expert either. Just We're, a fan. But uh, and also like some of the older Rocky Road Blues with Bill Monroe. You know, this, all these yeah. songs have such great different rhythms. The Western swing was in there. The blues was in there. Yeah. Uh, you you hear rockabilly in it, and we're like, why take that out? Right. So. So then what, what are some of the, because if you listen, I mean, I listened to a little bit of the album and definitely looking forward to hearing more. It doesn't sound like a recreation of old pre-Bluegrass Brother duets. I can hear that influence in there, but what else is going into it? I mean, I know you guys listen to all kinds of stuff. Uh, Philip Glass, New Wave, you know, the post-punk, No Wave as well, like sort of dis, you know, we're not afraid of, we're not afraid of dissonance. And then... Boy, it would be hard to speak for everybody. But just you know, for you, just speak rock. for yourself. I mean, you're you're a songwriter as well, right? You're, you're co-writing and and making yeah. songs. Yeah, we're you. working. You know, my I'm not the most prolific writer in the band, but I'm bringing things into it. Um, you know, there's some jazz influence. Uh, our bass player Mike, on top of being just an excellent lyricist, was a uh, a working jazz bass player for a long time. So he brings both that jazz influence and he also worked in latin music you know he's bringing bringing those kinds of feels into the band there's a song that's got kind of a latin feel on it, it it's nice to have a verse you know a bass player who's got a lot of ideas and is versatile and it's like you know each song he's able to come up with something totally unique and cool to make the make the rhythm pop and make it sound like something you've not heard before coming out of a string band
that's something I think about a lot is how much do people want to hear something that they haven't heard before versus how much do people want to hear something that sounds just like something that they've heard before. It's interesting because in the bluegrass world, it's a high compliment for someone to say, you sound exactly like music that was made 60 years ago. That's cool. That's not the praise I'm looking for necessarily. We've actually been surprised at how well we're received by traditionalists because I think they can hear the elements and the fact that we've gone, we've gone to school on this stuff. You know, there's a lot of bands that are doing different things with the, with the string band format that you can tell never went to school on the music. They're just sort of like, okay, here's some instruments. Let's just bang on them and do something different. But it's like, you know, we can do faithful renditions of Flat and Scruggs songs or whatever. We could, we would be capable of doing it. It's just not what we're choosing to do. And I think audiences can appreciate, you know, we're trying to grow this, grow the music in the same way that the original innovators were. Exactly right. Yes, that's that's the thing that I was just talking about in a workshop the other day. Yes, it's great to learn how to recreate old sounds. That's a good exercise. But what I'm really interested in is recreating that imaginative spark that created that music in the first place. Because you could listen to the oldest recorded examples of a tune, and that doesn't give you the ultimate source. Because the ultimate source was somebody who was just like, I feel like playing this. I'm going to play it this way today. And then that got recorded eventually, maybe generations later. So instead of saying, well, oh, don't listen to the new guys. You've got to listen to the old guys. It's like, yeah, listen to everybody. But really what you need to look for is, is that creative spirit, that imagination. And that's what you want to cultivate more than being able to play something exactly the same way someone else played it. Yeah, and also the, the original sources, they were playing what the people recording them wanted them to play. You know, I think a lot of those guys would have been able to play ragtime or jazz or something like that. But, you know, what people were coming around and asking them to play was the stuff from the Civil War veteran up the mountain taught you and not, what have you been experimenting with lately? Right. So. Well, speaking of experimenting, why don't we go back to the beginning of your musical life? How did you get started with music and with the banjo in particular? I got started as a trumpet player. How old were you when you were playing trumpet? Is it like I high school band, middle school? Third grade. Nice. And then school band. I played trumpet in school band and saxophone. And I borrowed a trombone and messed around with that for a while. I was, a, I was, I was into horns mostly. And I started playing guitar at about 12. And uh, was all self-taught and completely undisciplined. <laughs> But uh, uh, I guess I guess one thing that was that was lucky for me was that my high school, which was not like an arts high school, it was just a regular public public high school, had a music theory program or had a music theory class that was very good. And um, I took that as a freshman in high school, and there and from there on, all of all of the you know I could learn these instruments through the lens of that. I I could look at a piece of music and. Instead of looking to a chart, you know, this is how to finger uh, an E7, 9, you know, whatever chord. Just I'm just throwing numbers out there. Uh, even though that is an actual chord. It's the Jimi <laughs> Hendrix chord. Oh, yeah, E7 sharp 9. Yeah. You know, I'd say, okay, 
Well, I know, you know, I know uh, how to write for like a four voice chorus. Oh, yeah. 18th century <laughs> car writing rules, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The old rules. And I'd say, okay, so where would my fingers go to make that chord based on these notes? So I sort of learned it all backwards and I never act as a, my guitar playing ended up with a lot of like technical deficiencies. But so, you know, that's just that's just the way it is. I'm still a technically deficient guitar player. But uh, I guess I, the first time I picked up a banjo was hanging out with our friend Ben Belcher, who I went to high school with. And um, around the end of high school, we had been just hiking out to the, down to the Potomac and playing guitars. And uh, one day he brought a banjo with a broken fifth string. But nonetheless, it's like... <laughs> I had, I had um, if I can backtrack, I'd grown up listening to also WAMU, which at the time had bluegrass all afternoon in, in D.C. This is all in Arlington, Virginia. We're missing important chapters. It's all, it's all getting filled in. Yeah. Uh, it's all, I'm filling it in where, all, where all backwards. Where did you grow up? Okay. Arlington. Oh, right, yep. Okay. So, um, you know, I'd always loved the sound of the banjo, and I was like, you know, why is there that drone note? That's so interesting. It's like a sitar, you know? It's, uh, so being fascinated by that sound. And um, Ben brought this banjo that didn't have the fifth string. And, you know, I probably played it with a flat pick. But I was able to, like, pick out the notes that are sort of the outline of Foggy Mountain Breakdown. And I was like, yeah, look, I'm totally playing Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Not realizing <laughs> I was coming nowhere close to it. And later in that summer... By sheer coincidence, my dentist said, hey, you play instruments. Would you like this banjo that a patient traded me for work in the, in the 60s? <laughs> and he said, just take it home and uh, mess around with it. And if you end up liking it, you can pay, pay me for it then. And so it was this old K from the 50s. A friend still has it. Mike from the High and Wides actually has it now. Um... I played it poorly <laughs> for a while in the context of, you know, I, I was, I knew that I was supposed to play it with three fingers, but I was just messing around with it. And, um, I would try to, I would play it poorly within the context of like trying to play rock band with, in, in rock bands, there'd be like a token banjo song, but I finally got my hand, got some lessons from a teacher who was very big on fundamentals and got my like right, right hand technique drilled into me. And, um, also was told what to listen to, and I sort of took off from there. Um, oh, well, that's that's great. I want to continue with your story, but let's take a little detour and find out a little bit, because you do a lot of teaching. And so what did you learn from that teacher, like, in a, in a brief kind of nutshell, like, about the basics of technique and what to listen to? Copy Earl. <laughs> right. He sounded good. But the, the, the sort of mechanics of the right hand, keeping your, keeping your motion... You know, it's, this would be easier shown than, de than described, but keep your right hand motion to a minimum. And it's also the way to engage your your picks with the string. Like I was taught to have a relaxed, the, the knuckle right below your picks mm -hmm. should actually have give to it. And that's what you're actually in. You're actually like engaging and working with the string and popping it. And um, I feel like that's a big part of it. But it's also just learn from the Earl book take it from there and then you know with just armed with these basic fundamentals of how not to play wrong with my right hand i sort of figured it out from you know their old music theory again and um slowing recordings down and, and figuring them out 
banjo was the first instrument that I approached with any kind of discipline, and that's sort of where the light went off. And it's like, okay, I'm, yeah, here I go. Recommended listening being Flatten Scruggs. <laughs> Flatten Scruggs, you know, the the get get the Bear Family box set and just load it all onto an iPod and just listen to it a lot. Get the sound in your head. Yeah. And then there's so many great traditional banjo players. If you're like, you know, who is your favorite traditional bluegrass banjo player? I probably wouldn't say Earl Scruggs. You know, I'd probably, like, there's so many dudes who are, well. Who would it be? The face you're making right I'm now. No, like, it's like, who is it? You know, it's, uh, Paul Silvius is a big favorite. He played with Dell in the 80s and, like, and Joe Val. It's just quirky. I, I really admire the guys. Him, uh, Tom Adams is another who... But yeah, Paul Silvius is like a big favorite. Alan Shelton, I, I admire people who sort of take the the Scruggs rule book and do something quirky and inventive with it. I like yeah. quirky. That's kind of where we get to where we are now with your playing, right? You, or tell us more. Tell us more about like how did you get from the basics to to where we are now? I mean, there was Chester River runoff for many years. Yes, that was kind of experimental band, but also traditional. It was more. It was more or less traditional. I mean, it's just you know I'd study the Tony Trishka books. You know, I'd, I'd learn fiddle tune. Try to learn fiddle tunes note for note. Whenever I'd hear a break, I'd like I'd figure it out. I try to figure out what players were doing, but then really the key ingredient is just thousands and thousands of hours of stage time, and it's like and and being around good musicians. When Nate Grower started playing with the Runoff, even though he was like ten years younger or six years younger, <laughs> how how old do you have to be to play in a bar? He was that number of years younger, um, and. Uh, you know, he was so much better than me. And I was just like getting embarrassed <laughs> playing next to this great fiddle player. And we were doing, you know, we were working so many gigs. We were playing triple headers. We were, you know, we'd get up, like play a farmer's market and then go play a wedding or a private party and then go play a bar in the same day. Like we just worked so much and so much hours on stage next to particularly him improvising trying to keep from getting stale it's like always pushing yourself to try something new but yeah we'd be playing like seven hours a day <laughs> and it's like try to keep it fresh so you just try yeah. stuff and see what happens man um it's great you were able to do that i mean sometimes i lament how hard it is to to fill your time up with stage time like that because you know you listen to old recordings of well, not every band was like this, but, you know, a lot of those old recordings that, that I really like, the the guys, yeah, they'd have an afternoon gig, an evening gig, then they'd be on the radio, then they'd do a late night dance. It was like six days a week like that. And that's, that's how you get good, just yeah. doing it a lot. If there's not that much demand for live music, then you're just going to be practicing at home, which is still good, but it's not the same. We created our own demand by being this... Uh... They're, they're living in an area where there weren't a lot of bands on the eastern shore of Maryland just you know there was a demand for music we were just like the cool band on the eastern shore for years we never really toured that much but we're able to stay busy all the time which I tell touring musician friends now it's like you know or I was would even tell them then it's like yeah you know it's like when I was 27 I didn't think this was that cool but looking back it's like oh yeah we played 100 gigs this year and slept in our own beds every night 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's really great. We were a full time band that that stayed that managed to stay busy by being versatile and just keeping local. You know, it's like playing uh, dances and weddings and you know yeah. being able to change hats multiple times in a day to give people what they wanted when they were hiring a band. The Mid Atlantic is a good place for that. If yeah. that's if that's what you're trying to do, th- there's okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll move here after all. Yeah. <laughs> no, Detroit's all right too. It's, uh, anyway, it's not about me. It's about it's about Sam Guthridge today. We're talking about the banjo that the way he plays. Tell us about your instrument. Okay. Is this your main instrument? Oh, it is now. Um, this at, at the moment, I have three banjos that I sort of rotate between. This is my favorite and has been for a long time. It's a uh, it's based on based on a true story. It's a a bracket shoe. Gibson pot from 1928. You're not you're not a gearhead. No, that oh, the oh, holy oh. grail, man. Yeah, well, no, it's not. It, Isn't the, it? the one piece flanges are the holy grail. Oh. The the bracket shoe is not as highly regarded, but it's it was you know bracket shoe resonator pot with a TB2 style neck. It's just got you know it's got an unusual headstock for a Gibson, uh, different inlays. I just I like the way it looks. It's very, it's a cool looking banjo, but I really like the way it sounds. It's got this great, like, our friend, uh, Tom, as our friend Tom Bailey said, it's like, I love that banjo. It's got spooky mid-range. <laughs> you, know, <it's, laughs> you know, so it's always, you know, and it does. It's got like this. It's got like all this. It's just got it's got sustained it's got also it's got it's got all the stuff you want and it's nice and balanced and it's nice and it also doesn't weigh very much oh that's a bonus <laughs> yeah so while, while you you got the banjo and you're, you're picking a little why don't you share like something you're working on lately just some kind of technique stuff or licks that you're oh, you mess around ooh, with licks the the when we started the high and wides and and sort of started developing what we were doing I wanted to be able to play banjoistically without using a capo in all sorts of keys. Like, you know, we have a song that's an F sharp with no capo, and I'm like, you know, it's like all the standard thing to do as a banjo player when you get a weird key thrown at you and you're not using a capo is to just start playing single string. And it's like, no, I want to always. You know, it's like, there's there's so much you can do with the open strings. It's like E. You know, the song uh, Blue Driver on the record. It's like... You know, it's like, it's... E is a great key, you know. There's just so much cool stuff you can do that's out of... I'm just... Every time we come up with a song, I'm always like, oh, let's put it in some stupid... <laughs> it's like, why would you... Why would, uh, you know, Michael write a song and be like, let's do this in D, and I'll be like, let's do it in E flat. And then you end up with uh, Tell Me on the album. The, the song Tell Me on the album. Where the... Oh, that... that I, I, we haven't played that one in a while, but... 
Um, yeah, what are some of the the new the new licks? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Just... I've been into I've been into F. <laughs> um, you know, it's like there's some just there's there's so much more to it. You know, it's like B. I don't know. It's anybody could do it. I'm just. I don't know really how unexplored this is. I'm just. This is. I'm not trying to copy other people's ways of of solving these problems. Right. Is just right. sort of and uh, reinventing the wheel. <laughs> no, discovering it for yourself. Discovering it for myself. I, I don't. I don't know if this is really groundbreaking territory, but it's like the the way we're building songs off it is. You know, yeah. it's like I'm trying to. You know, there are songs where where I'll just play rolling banjo through a song. Of course, but then there's also, you know, I'm doing a lot of like dead thumb, like bluesy. You know, trying to yeah, the banjo can do stuff. I don't. It's, it's <laughs> I like so I'm, so versatile. I feel like I'm a let's, yeah. Describing what I'm working on, you know, it's always a combination between like melodic, what everybody tells you these days. It's like you're combining, I'm combining melodic and single string and scrug style playing seamlessly. You know, I guess, I guess, I guess once you get to that point, there is, I haven't, I haven't figured out a next, a next place to go except for like, I don't know, playing with a plectrum or something. <laughs> yeah. So like, as far as like techniques you can do with your right hand, that's, that's kind of like what we know about. That's kind of like what's available. Now the question is what kind of music are you going to make? Yeah. You know? Cause you, those are the techniques that, you know, you, and, what are you going to do? And, and what I'm trying to do is, is, play less you know trying to play trying to trying to write more think more riff in terms of like riff based songs so you rather than playing like like, streams of notes solos and backup is that is that kind of a dichotomy that you deal with or is that kind of not really part of the picture there are songs there are songs you know we'll do songs with solos but there's also um we don't always get to have nate on fiddle but particularly like me and nate have been playing leads in bands together for hundreds of gigs if not over a thousand who knows it's been a long time and we have like a really we we can read each other's minds we're able to we're able to have songs where the solos aren't specified and we might just both be soloing at the same time but instead of like instead of trading fours or like i'm gonna take over and play like this crazy crazy epic solo we're both like trying. We try to work off each other and support each other. What we're the, the ideas that we're each doing, because it's like it's something that we don't even really have to think that hard about.
but it's also like try to surprise each other. He still surprises me. I like every time we play a gig, he does stuff that I've never heard him do before, which is really impressive after all these years. You know, it's 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 great to have people around people around you that push you like that. So what kind of? Uh, yeah, I know you're into microphones too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about microphones and banjos. Yeah, the microphone is. To me, I like I prefer playing mic'd to direct live. It's an extension of the instrument. Like when, for each gig, I try. Like I think it, it's something like, what kind of room are we going to be in? What kind of show are we putting on? How am I feeling today? And it's and it really, there are so many ways to color the tone of the instrument, and then to work that microphone to produce different colorations of tone. It's like. Am I going to pr- play really soft right up on it? And, you know, it's like, play really gently right up on it to be loud, and then, like, play really hard at a distance to be quiet. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It matters what's going into that microphone and out there. I don't know. Uh, my favorite's uh, M160, Biodynamic M160 ribbon mic is a favorite live I love the 635A by Electro Voice, which is, it's got a, it's got a gritty tone. It's an Omni. People are afraid of using Omnis, but I was, I've been able to use it at a lot of gigs. Electro Voice RE20, like, I just love, <laughs> probably top favorite is, is the M160, which is like a super, super dark microphone. And, um, How many it, mics it, have you gone through? A lot of mics. How did this I'm, journey begin? Because some people go through their whole career just like, whatever whatever you put in front of me, I don't care. I'll play into it. It's I'm, not my job. I, I don't know. Well, it's, you know, I think I caught the disease from Mark because that's the way Mark is. Uh, Mark Dykeman, the, the guitar player from the High and Wides, um, he's, a, he's an engineer. He engineered our album and he's very knowledgeable about microphones. He's also got access to friends who have stuff and so it's always in the in early in the runoff days when we were just playing the 57s and 58s he'd be the one who'd show up it's like oh just try this on the banjo i want to see how this works today and then i sort of got the bug from from him and realized like what a difference it can make it's like it can depending on how you feel like you're gonna play what your what your mood is like you want to color the color the instrument in a different way to like convey you can have you can have like a brash tone yeah you know it's like i love there are days like like the 635 is like it shred it just like shreds the top end it's like very detailed but it shreds the top end so it's like it's like my banjo is coming through an am radio in like a totally badass way and i feel feel really rock and roll doing it it's like you know i don't want to use i don't want to use effects pedals but i can change my mic yeah, <laughs> you know it's like nice. well great you know, let's 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 yeah. talk about something else how about your practice routine are you pretty disciplined about your routine or it, it it changes a lot yeah as far as my advantages for playing the instrument it's like the knowledge of theory and i'm at this point i'm like i'm pretty fearless about improvising and trying things and having no fear of sounding bad because <laughs> i'm making mistakes my i i'm not like I don't feel like I'm a particularly adept player, so I do lots of right hand drills with a metronome. I've got very. Um, I could spend an hour and a half talking about the different right hand stuff that I do, and um, give us a little taste. Okay, I almost want to 
start up a metronome to yeah, if you want. Why not to demonstrate? Yeah. It's like I might use that. That's one fifty-two. Yeah. What do you do? Like a hundred? I had a hard time playing fast. You might remember from when I would play with you years ago. I was never able to play as fast as you guys. <laughs> we played fast, but I don't know if we played well. You, didn't, you played, you played, you know, the hot seats or the former, the former name of the hot seats. We don't need to go into. I don't know how risky, how how blue we need to get right now. Um, People who know know. If yeah. You, anyway, the uh, you know filling with you guys, I could never play fast enough. And then I had this whole realization one day when I was at a meat puppet show, and I was watching, I, I was watching the bass player play. And he was using two fingers and playing this very fast bass line. And it's like, I wonder if I can do that. And I was like, oh, trying to go back and forth between two fingers. And then I realized, like, your limitation in how fast you can play a role, practicing roles are not going to make you faster. Your limitation is how, how fast you can, is how fast you can go back and forth between your different fingers. You know, if you can go from your thumb to your index quickly, and then t- from your index to your middle quickly, and then but you slow. You can only go back from your index to your middle. I mean, from your middle to your index, slowly. Bam! That's your top end. So you got to wa- work like all the different pairings of your fingers. So it's like instead of practicing rolls as much, I would go back and forth between pairings of fingers, like thumb index, thumb index, as fast, get it as fast as I could, like on the different pair, on the different. On like every different combination of strings, I could that could come up in, and and on the same string, and then like you know, index middle, just over and over as quick as. You know, it's like how fast can you get that, oh, yeah. and then you know how fast can you get from your thumb and your middle and back. That way, you find weak points. That yeah. you know, that's how you iso- and it's also how you isolate weak points in your timing. That's what I do too, man. I it's like work with that too. It's- all in here it's in the banjo tutor oh i'm 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 100 years ago oh <laughs> good good but no it's you discover it for yourself that's yeah that's, that's what makes it meaningful yeah and it's, i remember you told me once that you practice every roll on every string i was trying that for a while i've done i've gone through a lot of different routines but it's like and you're also practicing vocal warm-ups every day is that I, how does that fit into the to the banjo practice? Is it there no connection or is no it, connection? Okay, I, I just for singing, just to be able to sing. Yeah, the sing. <laughs> I mean, I sing in the band. I'm a singer. I feel like that's, I want you to that's say probably, something like, "I'm singing through the banjo." I'm and, singing through the band. No. Therefore, I need to be able to sing with my own I, voice. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I wouldn't have had all the opportunities I've had to become a competent banjo player if it hadn't been for being able to sing. And I, know, I I went for years just taking it for granted that, you know, I was like singing at a certain level and that's where I was. Now I'm trying to become a better singer. I'm with you. You know, it's, um, and, you know, there's knowing how to run a PA, <laughs> knowing how to book gigs. It's yeah. like, that's, I feel like, I feel like that kept me working as a mediocre banjo player <laughs> long, like long enough to become an okay banjo player. And, sure. you know, it's like wherever... Wherever people would say I would fall now, yeah. But yeah, it's like I could, I could describe right hand drills that I do for an hour. But it's like practice. The main things are like practice playing between the clicks of a metronome that's going very fast. Like practice rolls or going back and forth between two fingers, 
if you can play between the clicks of a metronome that's going like 190 beats a minute. What do you mean between the clicks? Like you want I, to demonstrate this is yeah, 152. I, I, it's like I have to I have to work up to this. But like okay, so here's this metronome that's going and it's like you know, I'll just do like a simple forward roll if I can. And I'm picturing the metronome as being like as being the backbeat of as as like a mandolin like da 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 there's your mandolin and it's like and you can speed it up enough yeah. it's like that that's that that a great that will humble you like <laughs> nobody else's business like you talk about how like finding the weak points in your role man do yeah. that at, do that at any tempo do you know what's another and, metronome exercise i like to do when i'm practicing my roles and, and you know finger style stuff is um to slow it way down and yeah. see if I can continue playing 200 beats per minute, but it's on 40. Oh yeah, that's that's that that was actually what a, that was another thing I was gonna say. It's like I work on, you know, I've got I think I've I've hopefully outgrown this, but I think for a while I definitely had a rep within the band <laughs> as being as being uh, really bad at kickoffs. <laughs> and so you know, it's like so I'll practice. Yeah, so it's like you take your metronome at 152. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, you know, here's your. Yeah, I'm, not, just, I'm not that warmed up, but it's like okay, you know, here's like, you know, one, one thirty one, whatever. That's fine. You know, it's like. And it's like okay, now what's half of one thirty one? Uh, well, it doesn't have one, but sixty five. Uh, so it's like take it, your approximate sixty five and a half. Yeah. yeah, but the, also the point is to move it slightly each time. Right. You know, it's like... It's like, oh, and let me fall. You know, here's 33. Half, half, you know, slightly more than half again. You know, at the same time, I'm doing the, like, bump up your speed drill. You know, right. Two... Ah, you know, <laughs> I'm so I'm trying to keep track of too many things. I, I get what you mean. Yeah, and it's like okay, right. then take it, then take it down to sixteen. Yeah, you know, if you can, if you can groove, if or ten, you know, it's like if you can groove and have a click that's happening every ten seconds, and you know exactly where it is. It's like your macro. You know, you got to work on your micro timing and your macro timing. Your macro timing will be insane if you can like Beautiful. groove. So you could probably say something about like what it means to you when someone says old time three finger picking. Ah, yes. What is old time? uh, I guess we all have some idea of what old time music is. I don't really like that label myself, but it's what we have. Yeah. For all the time I've been playing, you know, as like a bluegrass style player, I would have always, I I generally would say, you know, now that I'm in the high and wides era of my development as a player who knows what i'd call myself but for a long time i'd always consider myself an old time musician there's nothing wrong with three finger banjo and old time <laughs> old time music you know yeah, it's, the, the choir here, it's the sound know. of uh you know it's the sound of 
a lot of the old Galax bands and like that's sort of the Galax you know we we've both gone to that fiddlers convention for years and years and um it's been a big influence on both of us and i think you know most of my friends were playing the old time music so hanging out in those just that's where I, so that's where i was comfortable even as a three finger player and people are very tolerant of it and it's like i remember the first year i went i would just like hang out in these jams and try to get my role going and then copy what fretless banjo players were doing <laughs> you know so i'd be like you know it's like you know it's like I'm not, you know, just just trying to have all those like surges and like oh, put that. the accents in different places. I love playing fretless. Yeah. So yeah. D- does it mean playing three finger, uh, playing in an old time jam or something? Does it mean just do whatever you want, or does it mean you're emulating some other instrument style, or does it mean you, have you to, put on restrictions on yourself? You have to. You you have to. You know, there's certain things that I'll do that are where I jump out ahead, like the the our both of our favorites uh gene mead the guitar player like that will influence that's an influence you know it's like you know you know it's like this is like a whole other part of my brain that i turn on for like a week a year yeah (laughs) and i'm trying to call on it right now but it's uh you know unless i'm unless i'm getting to play with some in a really good old time jam which just isn't like where i've spent a lot of time lately but it's maybe we'll do that tonight yeah, we'll do that tonight. I'll play three finger old time. I'll I'll reawaken those muscles. But it's fun. The, the the main key is you have to accept the accept the supremacy of the fiddle. <laughs> and and work with it. You know, it's just and enjoy it and and play with the fiddle player and support it and it's like I've gotten to play with so many great fiddle players. It's funny though, including I mean, you and the you old know, it's time. Like, it, it gets so formulaic. It's like, well, you have to have a fiddle, first of all. Then you have to have a banjo and a guitar. And the banjo has to be claw hammer. And then if a bass is okay, mandolin, I don't know, maybe. And then, you know, it gets along like this hierarchy. Have you ever been to an old-time jam without any fiddlers? No, I really like playing with fiddle players, man. Oh, that's same. A, me too. Hey, you know, no, that's I'm not a, saying there's anything wrong. It's just I, I, the kind of this kind of like requirements of like, well, if there's no fiddle, then it's not an old time jam, or you know, like, what if it's just a banjo and someone who likes to dance, or you know, what if it's just someone who's got a guitar, someone with some bones, and someone singing? I suppose I would you know? focus, you know, focus on playing something that's recognizable and follows a melody, and I'm like, you know, it's like. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to play Sally Ann and D, which I'm not in. Um, no, that does not. Uh, you play Sailor Way Ladies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just try to play, play a song. Just keep it going. It's not for you. That's what I find enjoyable about yeah. playing old time music. It's like super group oriented. It doesn't. All I'm there to do is support. Yeah. And that's fun. That's a great way of looking at it. And. You know, I often think about it as music for... It's not exclusively music for dancing, because sometimes it's all about a song or a, a story. But yeah. but often, in the situations I'm in, it's all about either you've got people dancing or you want to have people dancing. Yeah, that's what it's just the groove is so addictive. Oh, and I thought about something I wanted to get back into in, oh, yeah. in the, like, what do you practice thing. This is just something I would encourage everybody to do. Something I also try to do in... in is to is to rethink 
licks that you've played a thousand times and find new ways to approach it. Like, I had this really mind-blowing thing happen the other day. It's like, you know the old Joe Clark? It's, I had this whole thing where I was like, what if I, what if I went up on the second string and did that? You know, it's Like how to play those how to play those exact notes on different strings. It's like, oh yeah, trying to come up with ways to like uh, fool my right hand by playing the same notes in a completely with a completely different right hand pattern, or just like th- rethinking licks that everybody plays the same way. You know, it's like Pike County Breakdown. You know, it's like why not do or <laughs> it's like. <laughs> It's like they all work. I don't know. That was one thing I wanted to touch on. Come take a lesson or something. I'll <laughs> will be revealed. Um, well, I did have another question oh, or two for you. Sorry. Oh, Wait, yeah. did you have more? Did no, no, no. It's okay. just like I remember I was thinking about that on the way down. It's like I feel like it's so important to encourage people to not take the standard licks of bluegrass for granted. Don't just accept them as they are. Like try and rethink how to get the same that same effect in a different way and then allow that to be a springboard into coming up with your own thing. We, you do a lot of improvising, don't you? Yes. Want to talk about how you got into improvising and how you approach improvising? Ah, that's the hardest thing. That's that's the hardest thing to explain. How do you approach it? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's I don't. True. You just do I, it. I, I yeah. I mean, just take a leap and yeah. Um, that's the thing. It's improvising is all about. It's like build up the mechanics of playing and practice all the scales and all the stuff that you you want. But really, when it comes down to it, it's just completely turning off your head and just realizing, oh, look at what I'm doing. That's. That's a, that is unfortunately yeah. something that I do not know. I'm not sure how to explain because you can teach every, somebody every lick in the book, every scale, and but you, it's like teaching people how to improvise. It's like a mystery. I don't know. Or getting over the fear of it is yeah, absolutely. Is that's, everything. That's the main thing. And just doing it and not being afraid just to build sound up like your an confidence. idiot. It's, the, my main <laughs> advice for someone is how do you improvise? It's like get used to making mistakes in front of people yeah <laughs> there get, you go get comfortable with that and you'll be fine because you're gonna make mistakes and the thing about improvising is to just turn that mistake into what you meant to do just be like oh, oh that's uh, that's what i'm doing i just did that <laughs> yeah yeah uh two two questions okay you can answer them separately or together what would you say constitutes a good player and the other question is what do you see as the future of the banjo. Ooh, what do I like man, a good player? Timing time timing and tone and just like making everything sound on purpose and stand out and like and there's so many good great players I'd like to credit here, you know, it's like but around here like Mike Mumford who I've gotten to watch a lot. I've I've tried to avoid I've tried to avoid copying him because he's so like iconic and recognizable, but he's been a big influence just like watching and listening. You know, it's like how does this guy approach? How does he bear himself? And he's just like everything he plays is so clear and heavy and and it's just like this is exactly what I meant to do and I'm and I'm 
giving you this idea and it weighs 3,000 pounds. Bam. And it's like, that's what you're, you're just listening for that kind of confidence. It's like, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to be an, you don't have to be playing the incredible notes to be an incredible player. It's like just having like a clarity of ideas and re and responding to the situation you're in, the band that you're in. Sound good. <laughs> a good players, they sound good. I, 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 you know, what, what can I say? I wrote a thesis on aesthetics, but I can't tell you. I can't, I can't tell you. Uh, you know, get, let me write it down after I look for some quotes from Kant. Um, and then the future of the banjo. I don't know. We still have, you know, I hope we still have enough of a civilization, civilization going forward to have, have, still have banjo music. Is banjo, okay. is banjo the size of civilization? <laughs> I don't know. I, maybe uh, I should have asked that. Yeah, it's like, what is the future? I don't, it, uh, all I've got is, all I've got is platitudes. Because it's kind it's of like, a naive question from another time. <laughs> it's, a, it's a question from another time. It's when people it's thought that there was a future. All right, so quick, quickly, yeah. uh, are there any records besides your most recent one that you feel especially proud of playing on that you, you want people to know about? You don't have to say the one that we played on together. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, the High and Wides Lifted is the most recent project, and we're going to be starting to record another one. I play in another band around here that we didn't get into how I approach that, but I play in a, in a very traditional band around the D.C. area, exclusively, pretty much. Um, that band rarely plays outside the Beltway, but uh, called Only Lonesome. And we do sort of, we're like a Buzz Busby, Red Island cover band. It's, oh, it's a ton of fun. I love that. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so, it's so great. So and cool. it's, um, Is that only com or what? Yeah. You? But we don't, we'd been playing for five years before we even got our picture taken together. It would be great to put an album out. Who knows if it'll happen or if I'll be proud of my playing on it. Um, Let's talk about anything that you want the listeners to know about that you've actually done. <laughs> I only want people to know about the things that I want to do. I want to assimilate the flow of a lot of great rappers into like bluegrass playing. I want to learn how to how to roll like Eminem spits rhymes and and then record flat and scratch covers that way. You should have been at the jam last night. <laughs> <laughs> was, I don't know. It's uh you know there's uh man. The High and Wide's record, Square Peg Rounders record, is is a great is a great listen. My playing has progressed so much since then. My timing was like kind of loose on there. It's like the old time the old time banjo playing that we talk about. Just well, just to wrap it up, <laughs> just to tell us what what you have on the horizon for the rest of the year, like gigs wise. If you want to catch um, you, if you're gonna have a new release later this year, uh, maybe later this year or maybe early next year. Depends yeah. on if the album gets stolen this time, right. which is another great story. For You should follow the high and wides to hear how our album got stolen and we had to record it a second time. If the album doesn't get stolen this time, maybe later this year, uh, just keep an eye on you know, highandwides.com. It's thehighandwides.com. Yeah. Uh, samguthridge.com is my website. It's really bad, but it's funny. I'm up for anything. Hire me. And I, and I, 
<laughs> hire, hire me, man. I'll I try anything I, twice. I, I teach I teach lessons. Um, you teach Skype lessons too. I'm, I'm like kind of dense with computers, as you might guess from after if you look at my website. I teach but, Skype uh, lessons. I I'm but I think, but expert. I think, if somebody asked me to teach them a Skype lesson, I would totally teach them a Skype yeah. lesson. Cool. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Sam Guthridge, banjo player with the high and wides, only lonesome. Baltimore, D.C. area, teacher, banjo player, songwriter, banjo composer, um, not great website maker, but uh, great guy and a uh, good friend of mine. <laughs> so that's going to be it for this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Oh, no, I played the tag wrong. <laughs> that's going to do it for this episode of the picky fingers banjo podcast with guest host aaron jonah lewis featuring banjo player sam guthridge the episode featured three sound clips in order of appearance they were the songs titled caroline the ballad of coxfield and then blue driver and those are all performed by the high and wides featuring sam guthridge on banjo and those are off of their album called lifted Special thanks once again to today's Patreon supporters, Dickinson Buell and Commodore Perry. Go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the show. Email the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. And that's going to do it for today. Hope to see you all next time. Over and out.